Our scripture reading will be in Luke 14 today. So if you wouldn't mind turning in your Bible and following along with me as I read uh, Luke chapter 14. And we'll begin reading in uh, verse 1 this morning. Luke 14, 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him, and he healed him, and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came, and he reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and to the hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lori. I think one of the most important things I'm learning from our mission work down in Hackberry, Louisiana, is that God wants to use each and every one of us to speak hope into chaos. We're not just down there putting, we're really not down there putting tarps on roofs. We're down there giving hope like embodying hope among people who literally feel hopeless right now. So people with connections and people who don't have connections are who God, God uses. And God, God delights to use people who don't have connections, who don't know Mudbone, because he wants to guarantee his glory. He delights 
in using people who don't have connections, people just like me and you who don't know people, who he loves to do that because he wants to guarantee his glory in the midst of this. So often God bypasses the likely solutions. Why does God bypass the most likely solutions? Because he wants to get more glory for himself. And God gets more glory when those of us who don't think we bring anything to the table are just willing to say, Lord, use me. I'm an instrument. I, I, I don't have anything to offer. Use me. I'm yours. Um, I want to be an instrument in the Redeemer's hand. And here's the thing. You don't have to go to Louisiana this week to get in the game because the hurricanes of this world are ripping homes apart right here in our corner of the world. The needs are massive. I've been in conversations this week with people outside of our church that would bring you to tears if you knew all the details. I'm telling you right now, all around us, the needs are massive, and it takes different eyes to see the brokenness and the darkness, but the chaos is here, and God wants each of us to be willing to be used to speak hope into that darkness into that chaos, into that brokenness. Um, and that's what I'm learning right now, that God wants to use each and every one of us to, to speak life and to speak hope into a broken, dark, chaotic world. And, and the, thing, uh, the thing that's so unexpected in Luke 14, the thing that's so unexpected in Luke 14 is who gets invited to the feast? Twice, twice Jesus says, invite those who are in need, those who feel their need, those who are experiencing their need, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Twice he says, go to those who know they are in need. And the way this story unfolds is that it emphasizes the very essence of the gospel. Invite those who can't pay you back, Jesus says. Invite those who can't return the favor because there's gospel in that. Luke 14 teaches us that salvation only comes through God's pure generosity. That, that's, that's really what's, what's working throughout Luke 14 is God's pure generosity, not through their own effort. And it also teaches us that those who reject his, his invitation, those who reject the invitation remain tragically lost through their own choice. Refusing God, God's kindness. And I want this morning for you to feel the weight of the refusal of God's kindness. The tragedy of that. So if you're a guest with us today or you're visiting for the first time or you're making the transition from online, good morning to the online viewers. If you're making that transition from online into uh, back into church life, we would love for you to join us uh, present here together, face to face. If you're, if you're starting with us for whatever reason right now, we are in a new series and John mentioned that the series of Multiply is going to work from person to person, group to group, and church to church as we're thinking about this. I want to think today mostly about person to person as we get this, get this thing rolling. And I want you to feel as a person who has received God's grace in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, um, 
And, and, and even if you're just considering the faith, you're not yet a disciple. You're not yet uh, all in with Christ. You have not yet trusted him with your life. I want you to hear and feel this, sort of the weight of this, what Jesus is talking about this morning. And so I want to begin with Luke 14 because it calls attention to, to four things that should characterize our witness. Four dispositions. We can call them dispositions. Four dispositions or attitudes that should come out in our telling of the gospel story. Need, discernment, persuasion, and urgency. I want you to think with me this morning about need, discernment, persuasion, and urgency. As we invite others to the feast, number one, invite as one in need yourself. Invite others from the disposition of I am in need. I was in need, I am in need, I will be in need. Look at verse 12 with me. So he said also to the man who had invited him. That's the same man who was mentioned in verse one who is hosting the party. So in verse 12, make sure 12 and 1 are connected for you. In verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him. Jesus is talking to the man, this ruler of the Pharisees, who is hosting the party. It's not clear whether this man is orchestrating another plan to trap Jesus with a hard question about the Sabbath or whether or not he's just playing host. Um, you know, but he's, he's part of this group that is... is interested in trapping Jesus again. And Jesus wants to expose his misunderstanding of what it means to love God and love your neighbor. So Jesus says to him, when you give a feast, don't invite all the people who can return the favor. There's no grace in that. There's no love of God in that. What Jesus is doing is pointing out to this Pharisee that his own invitation list is a mirror. The invitation list that they've put together, that he put together to host this party at his house, that invitation list is a mirror into his own heart. The list reflects his love of self, his friends, his family, his rich neighbors. So Jesus takes this typical afternoon or evening meal and he turns it into a gospel moment to, to nicely say God is not impressed by payback hospitality. That's not how this works. That's not how the gospel works. That's not what true hospitality is about. True, gracious hospitality is given freely. It is not exchanged. If you would invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind into your house... If you would invite those, maybe not even just those, but just those with profound need, okay? Maybe not with physical need, but you clearly see profound need in their life. If you would invite those with profound needs into your home, the blessing would have to come from God because they couldn't repay you. And that would be much more accurate as a reflection on your own need because you don't bring anything to the table. Apart from Jesus, you're poor and lame and blind and crippled and helpless. So we invite 
Jesus is trying to help us see something here. He's trying to help us to see that as the gospel's going out, it should go out from the perspective the disciples are watching and listening and learning here, right? This is, this, this is being taught to the disciples. This is coming in the form of Scripture, and Luke is accounting this. Luke is giving this to us because he wants us, like disciples, early disciples, to discover we should invite as those in need. So here's the question for you today. When, when you invite others to consider Christianity, what is your disposition? When you and I invite others to, to consider Christianity, what is, what is our disposition? We invite as those in need. It is, you know, famously been said, one beggar helping another, what? Beggar, where to find bread. That's what we are. People in desperate need of change telling others in desperate need of change. Look, don't ever lose this orientation when you're talking about Christianity. Don't ever lose this orientation because the culture is sort of waiting for you just to fire at them what they're doing wrong. Don't ever lose this disposition. Invite as a person in need. Here's the second thing. Invite with discernment. Now look at verse 15. Jesus finishes saying this to the host, but someone is listening, someone who is at the table with Jesus, close to Jesus, one of those who reclined at table with him, probably on the same seating arrangement. So if there were these long couches that kind of centered around the table, this person, it sounds like this person is at Jesus' couch, right close to him in his area, his booth, his seating area. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said, well, blessed is everybody who eats bread in the kingdom of God. Amen, brother? You know, kind of chatting it up with Jesus about the kingdom. Clearly, he thinks he's in good standing and probably thinks that of the rest of the Pharisee club. We're all going to be there eating bread in the kingdom, right? And Jesus says, not so fast. And he shows discernment. Listen, he shows discernment in his listening to this man. And he shows discernment in his response. And he tells a story that gets at the heart of this guy's religious assumptions. He's dismantling this man's religious assumptions in the very story that unfolds in verse 16 and following. So look what he says in verse 16. To, the res to respond to this man, he says, let me tell you a story. A man once gave a great feast and invited many people. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come for everything is now ready. Who do you, who do you think the servant is? Who's the servant going out? Jesus is the servant going out. And then all the disciples who will follow in his invitation will be the servants who go out. So, so at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they began to make excuses. The first said, I bought a field and I got to go see it and make good on this business transaction. I won't be able to make the party. And another said, I've got five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I've gotten married and I have a wife and my first order of attention is here and I can't come to the party. 
Jesus is the servant who has come to announce the kingdom of God is here. And everybody who had been previously invited, the Jews who have been anticipating this for hundreds and hundreds of years are making excuses in Jesus' story. And he's ignored. The Son of God is ignored as he invites people to hear So as you invite others to consider the gospel, do it with discernment. What I mean by that is learn to listen well. As, don't, don't assume you have all the answers to those you're talking to as you're inviting them. Invite with discernment. Listen uh, with discernment. Listen as Jesus did. Listen for the heart that speaks of man-made religion. Listen for faulty assumptions. Listen for excuses. It's going to help you to have compassion. It's going to help you to know how to respond. Not because you're going to fire back with an argument. Not because you're just going to fire back and, and, and win this argument. That's not what the master, in this parable, that is not what the master tells the servant to do. He does not say to the servant, you go back to all three of those groups of people and you just explain to them the error of their ways. That is not what he says. Of course, there are times when doing personal evangelism and we're witnessing that we should lovingly challenge excuses. There are times when you should lovingly challenge excuses. I, in a different passage on a different day, we will talk about that. But that's not what's happening here. Here, the judgment on those who will not respond is implicit, and it falls to the master to sort that out. Our job, like servants of Jesus, as servants like Jesus, is to expand the invitation list. That's what the servant is called to do here. That's, the, that's, the, that's what the servant is called to do, to expand the invitation list. They're not listening. They're ignoring. They're neglecting. They're mocking. They're excuse, excuse, excuse. I want you to go expand the invitation list. Verse 21, look what it says. Go The servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became angry. Parenthetical note here, God tends to get angry when his people presume upon him. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go man, go to the streets, go out to the streets and to the lanes of the city and, and go do it quickly and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go and invite everyone. That's the point. Invite everyone to the feast. If they're not listening, I want you to go and invite the next layer. I want you to go further out, especially those who are in need, especially those who sense their need. One commentator wrote, these Jewish leaders, though invited and in line for God's blessing, opted out of the invitation. Jesus offered and they refused. They will not be at the table with the poor, the needy, and the ethnically diverse. End quote. What, what's happening here is the invitation list is getting expanded. It's, it's getting expanded to include 
uh, it, the gospel is for all people to include Jew and Gentile, wealthy and poor, those within the city and those outside of the city. Look at verse 23. I want my house to be filled, he says. He says, I want my, this, look, I'm putting a lot of effort into this party. Read, the Son of God is going to come, live, die, and rise to make this possible. I'm coming to put a lot of effort into this party. You should go invite, I want my house to be filled, verse 23 says. So invite with discernment. Discernment is not what I, I don't mean by discernment, hmm, Lord, who do you want me to tell today? And then you end up by the end of the day never telling anybody about Jesus. What I mean by discernment is understanding what is happening. That's the second thing. Invite with the kind of discernment that Jesus has. And then here's the third thing. As you take this invitation, as the invitation list expands, as it goes further and further out, do it winsomely and persuasively. See if you can find that in verse 23. There's a third disposition that should mark our witness, and it's in verse 23. We invite others, we, we compel them. The, the ESV reads compel. Other, uh, other translations might have persuade or convince. Um, that's the idea. Urge them, compel them, convince them. Now, why would Jesus use this language? Why would he use the language of compel them and urge them? Because the streets and the back alleys are where outcasts live. It's where the outsider lives. And the outsider doesn't naturally feel like an insider. He doesn't know he's on the invitation list. In fact, he's gonna be surprised that he's invited. She is going to be surprised that you have stopped to invite her. They would not know the host. They don't travel in those circles. They might even say, is this a joke? You invite me to come over to your house? Are you messing with me? Nobody's ever invited me to, to do something nice. Are you messing with me? And so they've got to be invited with sincerity and persuasion and not, not a con man, not a salesman, not a, you're not rolling out a shtick. You're deeply, genuinely, sincerely concerned for them. And so you invite them in a way that is in concert with that sincerity. And, and there, there's, not any, there's not any coercion going on here, right? That ought to be fairly obvious. There's one servant going out. There's one servant going out into all these places in the story. There's not any coercion. There's not any come. He's not going to bring them back by force. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. We invite. We don't intimidate. We propose more than, more than impose. And when we do that, winsomely and persuasively, warmly, authentically, people are likely to be, more, more likely to be interested. One of the reasons it's hard to invite people to our church here, this church, one of the reasons it's hard to invite people to our church is that it looks like we've got everything 
together. We've got a really nice facility. There's lots of really nice cars in the parking lot. And so that makes it hard for a refugee family landing in Roanoke, in God's providence, landing in Roanoke, to feel at ease and welcome here in our space. It's hard. It's hard to come from having everything taken from you and nothing but the clothes on your back to a really comfortable place like this. So we have to go out of our way. So listen, we have to go out of our way to be real with people, to show humility and vulnerability, to reveal our own need. We need to connect with people at that level to to know that this is a place of need. This is not a place where everything's figured out and all buttoned up nice and clean and tidy and we, we got it all figured out. I have a sport coat on this morning, but don't let that fool you. I mean, I, I was unkind to one of my own children yesterday in the middle of the workday and said something that was hurtful because we were trying to get stuff done. I was tempted by greed this week. I was tempted to gossip this week. I got insulted this week and took it personally. So don't don't let a jacket on Sunday morning fool you. Like we've got to figure out how for people who we're trying to connect with to feel that we are as broken as they are and we are every bit as much in need as any family who's relocated from, from Rwanda or Syria or wherever else it is, um, and, 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 or Greece somewhere temporarily as a holding place for them to relocate here, and, and they feel helpless. We gotta figure out how to connect. It's hard, you need to understand, it's hard to visit here in this really nice place. That should make us all the more concerned about connecting well with people when they hit the parking lot, when they come to the common space. So invite with warmth and genuineness and, and integrity. All right, well, if we're still friends, I'm gonna hit you I'm about to hit you even harder with this fourth punch, Kevin, if you're ready. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to hit you harder with this one. I'm just giving you a heads up. So put on the headgear and get ready. This is to all of us, okay? Number four, invite with urgency and responsibility. As early as verse 17, look at this. As early as verse 17, you sense urgency. Come now. The servant is supposed to say to those who've been invited, come for everything is now ready. This sense of urgency permeates verse 17 through the rest of the story, permeates the rest of the story from verse 17 on. When the meal is ready, the guests are called to the table, and this meal represents the feast of salvation in Jesus Christ and all of its, big word, eschatological benefits. The kingdom is arriving in Jesus. 
and this feast of salvation in Jesus and all of its ultimate benefits is on the table. And you don't want to be late to this table and the offer doesn't extend forever. And urgency should characterize our witness and it doesn't. Urgency doesn't characterize our witness, but it should. And I am not, I'm really not preaching at you this morning. I'm talking to us. This is true of my life every bit as much as as is true of yours. Sometimes at my house I have to go downstairs and, and work the hallways and the hedges to get my boys to come upstairs to the table because their mom's been working really hard to get dinner ready and I want them up there while it's hot and she's ready to serve them. And I'm beating on doors. I'm like, you know, you'd beat on a door. Finally, the door opens and he's in there on his headphones. He's like, yeah. Oh, is there another world out there? Is it six o'clock? I didn't know it was dinner time. Like, are you, are you with me on this? We're living in our own worlds, not paying attention to this really important feast that's going on upstairs, and we've been invited to. And if you think kidding, if you think getting kids to the table for a nice meal is frustrating, what on earth would it feel like to be God who spared no expense to make this feast possible, and He's calling for people to come, and everybody's just kind of living in their own world like, Oh, are you interested in me, God? I wonder how. It hurts. God, not only that people reject him, but that his own people who've received his grace don't have more of a sense of urgency to say to their neighbor who we know is in need, man, I would I just love to talk to you about what Christianity means to me. And you're like, I don't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know how to start. Stop telling yourself that. It's not true. You figured out how to say everything else you want to talk about. We're just not, we just don't know what's really happening. We don't know the tragedy of this. And that's why there's no urgency. Pastor John is reading a book about evangelism and he passed it on to me this week, this paragraph. I'm going to read it to you. So often now, American Christians seem hopeless in light of our fading cultural power and our social influence. Our knee-jerk reaction is to throw up our arms and call foul. We tend to fight for our rights in the public square and, and slam our opponents on social media. We're fearful about our future as Christians in America. And yet fear of the future isn't really the problem. We actually don't seem fearful enough, not nearly as concerned about the certain and dreadful end of our unbelieving neighbors. Not fearful enough about those who don't know Christ. I want to encourage you, excuse me, I want to encourage you to 
during this series, just dial in on one person. Each of you. Now, like, don't, husbands, don't let your wife find a person and that counts for you. That doesn't count for you. Each of you dial in on one person that you might identify who is an unbelieving or unchurched neighbor, coworker, or friend who needs Christ and start praying for the next seven, six or seven weeks, for the next several weeks as we walk through this series, just start praying for urgency. Pray for a time to speak with them. Pray for a way to get the gospel into their world through you. People are as open now as they've been in a long time. People are hurting right now. People are lonely right now. People are open right now in, 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 in ways that they have not been open before. And God wants to use you to speak hope into their chaos. He wants to use you to speak with urgency a, a word of hope into their lives. I want to challenge you with that this morning. You are the person who's got passport into their lives. I'll close with my uh, all-time favorite Spurgeon quote. I'm pretty sure this is my all-time favorite Spurgeon quote. If sinners must be damned, then at least let them leap. If sinners must be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they have to perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees, begging them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not a single one go unwarned or unprayed for. I want you to put that one person in the next few weeks that you get in your heart and in your mind that you're going to dial in on. Put them in that, in that line, not to go there unwarned or unprayed for. We're going to do something really practical this week. We're going to fast uh, on Wednesday, we would love for you to join us. A number of us are going to fast and pray on Wednesday. And what we want to fast and pray this Wednesday about is a sense of urgency and a sense of willingness to, to share, to speak, hope. Not to be mad at the culture, not to be mad at the unbeliever, but to speak hope and compassion. I want to invite you to join us, and um, we're not going to, I don't think we're sending out a church-wide email about it or anything. I just want to invite you to pray on Wednesday. If you, can, if you can fast and pray on Wednesday with us, if your diet doesn't allow you to do that, just pray. If Wednesday's not good for you, find a time this week, but you get the idea. Let's pray that God would give us a sense of urgency to take the gospel to the world that is hopeless and in need. So I want to pray for us right now. And uh, then we'll sing and respond to the Lord. Lord, we 
Lord, we, we don't want to do this out of guilt. We don't want to do this even primarily out of obligation, but out of a, a, of a, a deep sense of compassion and delight. And, and we pray that somehow these next several weeks, we would, we would just taste, we would, we would feel the weight of the tragedy, but even more beautifully, we'd see the glory of the hope that is found in Christ. And we confess to you today, we don't know how to do this, we don't know what to say, we don't know who we're going to say it to, but God, we want a sense of urgency. Would you, amazingly, by your Spirit, give us people who will trust us with conversation and let us be good stewards of that. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.